Okay, welcome to Rogue Bogues. This is the conversation series. A little while back, I did, or we did, a um, conversation series with the gentleman from iCook Foods, and we have Ian Cook here following up that story. We finished that one with, it was about a two, two and a half hour episode, so circle back if you haven't seen it, about you know, blatant corruption within the Victorian government, DHS, stand on council, Victoria police, so... Take your pick, but we finished that with Ian mentioning that they were taking the DHS Danong City Council to court, and we left it at that. And we we're going to follow. And there's been a lot of updates since then, so I've brought Ian here again to chat, and and it will go back and forth and jog his memory a little bit. But a lot has happened since then, Ian. So welcome back to the In Conversation series with Rug Bugs. No worries. Thank you very much, Andrew. So run us through what what has happened. There's been a lot, a lot more digging has dug up. Numerous more corpses wherever you look, essentially. It's just the, the tentacles are just ongoing, as we discussed in the first episode. But like I said, we finished as you were taking down City Council and um, the DHS to court. Where, where Where is all that at? And give us a rundown of, of what else you found along the way, if, if not by accident. Yeah, so uh, in terms of the legal action, our civil legal action, that's been... That's continuing, if I like. So we're swapping documents, discovery, all the usual things that apply there. We won't have a court date until the 7th of February uh, 2022 because the courts are behind with COVID. But yeah, that's just progressing, I guess, is what I would say. A number of things have come out through, I guess, because of social media and because of shows, podcasts like yours. People are talking about it a lot more. And we've effectively ended up with another whistleblower in uh, Ray Christie from the city of Knox, who's come out and said he wrote a report to DHHS. He verbally told them the contents of that report the day, the evening they were closing us. So he tells them in the afternoon that night, Sutton signs the closure order. And he says, the woman never ate any of our food. He this says, is a Listeria case, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He yep. said the woman that died that we were accused of killing, Jean Painter, they just say, uh, he says no. He went into the hospital at the request of Department of Health. So this is their guy. This is not me just, you know, making some name up. This is their bloke that they send in to do a report. He does a report and the report says, after speaking to the infection control nurse and the catering department, the woman was on a soft diet. She had diarrhea, so she wouldn't have been eating a lot. And that any soft diet sandwiches, so they take the crusts off and all that sort of thing, are all done in-house by the hospital. So the department knew this. They still went ahead and closed us. After receiving the advice. Yeah. yeah. So, which sort of leads into questions that get asked of me now, since more people in social media are talking about it, and that is, we know what happened why did it happen? And I guess the detail of that without spending hours explaining everything is that we had technology that was um, to do with texture modified foods. Uh, we had patent applications in for this technology. And what we found since we read the papers of Community Chef is that they were relying on being able to do texture modified food to get them into the public health system so that they had continual free funding. They didn't have to worry about losing money as they had been all the time. So, that was like dot number one. You say, okay, so they needed that. HPV, who do all the purchasing for the um, public health system, had come in at the behest of Gabrielle Williams, the local member for Dandenong, and they came in, and a guy called Alfred Matthews, um, Joe Neal, and Amanda Miller, they're two directors, and 
the head of purchasing, they sit there and say, this is the greatest advancement in 30 years. That was particularly from Alfred Matthews. They're going to run a tender and the tender is going to be on our specification because ours is an undiluted product. It's nutritional, does all the things they need it to do. It's not pumped with water. It's not pumped with water or yep. something, right? And we can also do a few products other people can't do. So this all leads up to the end of 2018 and you say, okay, um, this is good. We buy a new machine, we get ready for it, and then nothing. Well, not just a new machine. How much would you have paid for that that new machine? Uh, that to, uh, well, tooled up was about $270,000, dollars exactly. not just a, a run-of-the-mill machine, which we'd think is you know, a computer or whatnot. It's, it's, it's yeah, a big outlay stuff. for a small business. Yeah. Yep. Well, on top of that, we also had to get, a, get a, uh, another piece to go with it, which was another 120 on top. So we got those, we got ready, and then bang, nothing happens. You think that was strange? They was they were desperately, they were serious about get moving forward with us. And then we get into the January, and in the January we have Leanne Johnson, who's the coordinator of public health at Dandenong. We now know from all her notes and from emails we've now got through Freedom of Information and the whistleblower that in the middle of our registration period, Johnson is asking a guy called Philip Montalto at the Department of Health about our classification whether a class one, class two, she wouldn't know. Now, she's quoting him what we do. She'd never been in our factory. She didn't know who our customers were. She didn't know what exactly we did. So you start to ask questions about why would you be doing all of that? Anyway, so she does that. That's on the 25th of January, 25th, 26th, 27th of January. There's this conversation going backward and forward. The department finds out then that this woman's got listeria. The department finds out where the supplier Okay, then all of a sudden, on the 1st, they go in and they take samples. On the 18th, the samples come back with this positive that supposedly matches genomically to this woman. And everybody knows the story from there. It's like, bang, we're shut and destroyed. And then you say, okay, what we've found out since then is the doctor treating Gene Painter is a guy called Dr. Joe Teresi. He's the lab manager at Doherty Institute. Doherty Institute is the institute that writes the report that links the genomic sequencing to our cells. It also links it to foods in Queensland and WA. So these are just the facts of things that have happened. So a couple of months after I'm shut, a guy called Roger Lazaro, terrific bloke, works for a company called Easy Chef. They make like bulk pureed, like bulk mashed potato, bulk pureed pumpkin, etc. And they sell to hospitals, they sell to big manufacturers, etc. They're like an ingredients manufacturer. Anyway, he, um, I've known him for a number of years. He, um, he comes in and sits down with me and he says, oh, he said, I was at a barbecue with a friend of mine who knows you. And he said, he's the director of food, if you like, at HPV. His name's Alfred Matthews. And I said, yes, I know Alfred Matthews. He came in here and said what we were doing was fabulous. Uh, and he said, well, he said, at this barbecue, he said, I said to him, why the heck aren't you trading with iCook Foods? What's going on? Why don't you? It's the best product out there for, for this market. And he said, oh, uh, no, we couldn't. The testing didn't work out. When he said that to me, it was like, here's another fact. There was never any testing. So the tender that was pulled, he just didn't want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. He knows something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, and here we get myself and Rowan Wen. Now, Rowan Wen has been working pro bono for two years now with us. The whole reason that we have had the media exposure and the political uh, exposure, if you like, is because of Rowan. So, Rowan is just a wonderful bloke. He, he is a 
media and political advisor and he does his job so well and to be working like the cops to have been working so long on something that he just has a passion for because he sees it as being so wrong so he organizes to come with me to meet matthews so i ring get on to matt matthews doesn't know i've had the conversation with his friend so i ring matthews and say oh look you know we'd like to have a coffee if that's okay so matthews agrees and we have a coffee near the offices of dhhs and he sits there the thing about rowan when is that rowan was an investigative journalist. That's how he started his life, right? And he In the traditional form of what investigative journalists Yeah, yeah, the, that's right. A current <laughs> affair, 60 Minutes, the real deal, yeah. way back, yeah. right? And Rowan sits there and listens to this guy as I line him up. I say, okay, why didn't you run this tender? And he gives me all this waffle about, oh, no, we never intended to. It's not a big enough market and blah, blah, blah. Completely the opposite of what he said. I said, really, why did you tell Roger Lazaro that my product didn't pass testing. The guy goes bright red, looks down, can't look us in the face, just is bumbles around. Oh, no, he mis he's misunderstood me. I didn't say that. No, no. I said, so you're telling me that your friend lied to me about this? Why yeah. would he? A strange thing to make up out of the blue. That's yeah. right. So we step through these things and you say, so the why? The why is that you have community chef finding out that Gabrielle Williams has spoken about us in parliament in late 2018, waxing lyrical, saying how great this is because she was brought in to see the product. She wanted to see the product. She's working with the then health minister as a junior minister and assisting. She was the one that got HPV in in the first place, etc. And community chef finds out about all this. If they'd run that tender, if this had all gone to plan the way HPV wanted it, that would have embarrassed the living daylights out of um, community chef. That would have been the last... What is it, the straw that broke the camel's yeah, back? Yeah, the nail in the coffin, for sure. That, that would have been it. Would, yeah, of course, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. So, this, as I say, a conspiracy invites speculation. What I've just given you is a series of known facts, which looks to me, forget conspiracy theories, this was orchestrated. These facts together show an orchestrated efforts undermine yeah to, 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 to yeah. destroy yeah get you out of the market well and and you have to go back and ask yourself you know why would Elizabeth Garlic plant a slug why would Leanne Johnson lie in court documents to try and get us charged literally why would you do all of that why would you go to the trouble they went to what just for a promotion I don't think so uh, I think in that situation you would have to be either psychotic or you were given a reason to do something. Yeah, there's a cherry on the top of that cake at the, at the end of the birthday party, <laughs> yeah. I think. That's it. That's exactly right. So that takes us from the why. We've talked, as we say, about um, Ray Christie, which has come up since I spoke to you last. And now we're going to a police investigation that's restarted. Uh, the guy doing it has been very good. Um, he, From all reports, he's a, a, a good quality Police officer, detective. He's a detective inspector, the one that running it. He's got three others working with What's him. What's his name? Uh, his name is Detective Inspector Dean Grandy. And he's been put on by Shane Patton? Uh, uh, yes. Well, yes. Shane Patton got a superintendent by the name of, uh, I know him as um, Superintendent Silver. Okay, That's okay. That'll do. But uh, yeah, that, that was where we were at at the end of the last episode was the Shane yeah, Patton so thing came out a couple of weeks later. Superintendent Silver looked at it and said, here's the- um, Yes, this hasn't been done as well as it could have been done. So he's gone back, told the commissioner. They've then organised for Dean Grandy to coordinate um, a new investigation, and he he has been very good. And for all intensive purposes, you know, his interaction with us has been forthright, 
and very policeman-like, if I can put it that way, which is comforting for us. We were then introduced to an organisation called CAA. And if you're happy, Andrew, I would invite your listeners to go and have a look at it. It's actually a charity and they are very concerned about corruption and corruption within the Victorian Parliament uh, or within the government, not just the, sorry, the Parliament's probably the wrong word, but within the government. And so their chairman wanted to come and visit me along with the CEO. And as it turns out, their chairman is Carol Glare, who's the retired police commissioner of Victoria, who was appointed by a Labor government, and he doesn't take a political view either side of the fence. He's apolitical. His CEO is a retired detective inspector, I understand, Ivan Ray. Terrific guys, both of them. They both came in. They wanted to see the evidence, the hard evidence. They wanted to talk about it to see if all the things they'd heard and been told were accurate, and both of them were completely blown away. That's just like, this is, this is real. And so they've thrown their support behind us. So along with the two detectives we already had, we now have, if you like, the most senior of retired police officers because Kel Glare is also a, I believe, he, no, he is, he's a qualified lawyer and barrister. So, And once again, these people wouldn't take on roles or jobs where there was some sort of doubt. It just, it's pointless at this point in their careers, especially a former you know, retired superintendent or detective that's no longer has any bonuses aligned or a salary, they're just doing it because, like you said, it's it's the right thing to do. And that's why, you know, I want to bring you back on and have you on the podcast, period, because it's just mind-boggling. And when you left the last podcast, we discussed even off-air that you're going to continue to find out more and more and more, whether you like it or not, and at times by accident, at times strategic, but it's just it's just crazy how how far and the, the web, the spider web that you're in, it just just keeps continuing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, with that, my question is, where, where do you even, where do you even start the proceeding against DHS and, and Dan on council when when as this investigation goes on, there's just more and more coming. So you might you might have a, a case, you might have filed documents, and then there's another five things that come out. It's like what you can't <laughs> yeah. then add those to the case later on, I assume. Uh some you can. I mean you can make amendments if 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 new information becomes available. But I think in the last one we did discuss the fact that it cost us thousands and thousands of like tens of thousands of dollars to take DHS to court just to receive the report that Sutton relied on. So, for Sutton to close us under the section of the Act that he did, he has to rely on a report, and it says, the report of an authorised officer. His deputy for communicable diseases is Dr Angela Bone. Dr Bone put an affidavit into the court and told the court that she had seen the report and that the court needed to make it confidential you couldn't be you couldn't have the public second guessing decisions of health officials when they're doing their job which is absolute rubbish because the report is always in every other council given to the person well, who it's was about well it's very similar to based on the the coronavirus restrictions we're implementing are based on the best health advice can can we see that health advice yeah so uh, no you yeah, can't, you can't right. see it you can't see it so bone uh, bone signs this affidavit and that's dropped into the court literally an hour before we go in to have the hearing. Anyway, so the Supreme Court says, okay, Mr. Cook, you can have the report. We're going to send it to you. You have to keep it confidential. Well, as it turns out, it ended up in the parliamentary inquiry, so it's no longer confidential. But here's the thing. When Dr. Bone went to the parliamentary inquiry and when she was specifically asked for a copy of the report, her answer was, oh, there is, I keep getting asked this, there is no one report. So, was she fibbing 
Was she lying to the parliamentary inquiry or was she lying to the Supreme Court? So one's contempt of court, one's contempt of the parliament, <laughs> both very serious. <laughs> yeah. So you've got that. And because the Christie report's now come out again, we've got a parliamentary inquiry that's reopened because the politicians, those politicians make decisions and laws based on facts they get from these inquiries. So if people start lying and bureaucrats start lying to inquiries, you're going to get bad laws made. That affects our whole democracy. So they're not happy campers. So that gives you an idea of what's happening in court cases. And, and the cherry on this cake, if you want to go down that path, is that since that all happened, and then when we joined Dandenong and the two health officers for misfeasance in the same action, then Sutton and the department amended their defence. Do you know what you know what they what they put in their amended defence? Let's hear it. Doctor Sutton did not rely on the report that cost me tens of thousands of dollars. Are you kidding? What do you rely on then? Exactly. So, well, that's the question we've got. We haven't been, we, that'll have to be part three because we don't know. We haven't been told now what he relied on. It appears they might be saying he relied on um, some verbal advice and some emails. And maybe a suitcase or two, allegedly, of course, with some, uh, some, some, yeah, I don't know. some green in there potentially, but that's, well, it's all, it's all unraveling. It's just, I think they're, you know, they're playing the long game with you and hoping you just, you know, disappear and run out of funds and. Yeah. I mean, my taxes are essentially funding the case against you. So for that, I apologize because <laughs> yeah, yeah, the lawyers representing the DHHS is uh, all of all of Victoria's uh, taxpayers. So that in itself, they have a uh, a barrel of money that's has no bottom to it, you know? And that's the other thing with this case that, that, that angers me is an everyday Joe with his own business that is, was on the brink of doing wonderful things. The very people that you were servicing the community's taxes are now paying- to fight you in court. Yeah, and to continue to destroy us. It's like a victim that keeps getting beaten up and you say, you know, well, they are quintessentially uh, bullies. I would encourage anyone to go and read what government is supposed to do as a model litigant. These people break all the model litigant rules and yes, that's that's because they're spending public money, that's what they're supposed to do. According to the model litigant rules or guidelines, they should be negotiating with us a settlement to to reduce the cost of legal action and the furtherance of legal action. So they should be looking at all the evidence with us now and saying, okay, yep, yeah, okay. Yeah, we messed up. We've we got to fix this, yeah. Are they even, are they, has that even been close? No. no, no, they keep denying it. Just, just straight denial. Just straight, yeah. They just keep saying, no, no. Yeah, um, Ian Cook- Ben Cook, forty-one employees, uh, had no idea how to handle food. They're at re they're wrong here. You're just making not us. this all up. You just ran a bad business, and, and you're crying over sour milk. Is yep. that their defence? That's it. <laughs> Can I say also that the first time I met Detective Inspector Rod Porter, Paul Brady, even Kel Glare, and his offsider Ivan Ray, they all questioned were there any skeletons in the closet? Was there something that we had done that they needed to know about? Because it all come out. Yeah, yeah, and and their names are attached to it now, mm -hmm. and there is nothing. Everything we did, we did above board and correctly. Yeah, and like you said earlier a couple of minutes ago, this isn't a conspiracy theory or a conspiracy anymore, or, or was it even from the start? Once you've explained yourself, the fact that you have hard evidence in black and white, you now have four very reputable people that would not put their names on the line for anything, nothing else uh, detrimental about yourself, legal activity has come out. It's, it's just it's mind-boggling that it would even get this far. And, and like you said, the fact that they- 
they have they're going gung ho on you're lying we're defending ourselves like i said if there if there wasn't a bottomless pit of money it'd be interesting to see the direction it goes if this was a private suit versus a private suit but i guess we're seeing the dark side of of government and and what they can do to the average person once again because they can fight this for five six seven years at a million dollars two million dollars a year if that's what it takes and where does that leave you uh well at the moment we will we'll look we will financially get through round one, I guess, if if they push it and uh, and we have to find other sources of um, funding, then we'll go looking for it. At the moment, we're okay. I see this as something you have to stand up to a bully, however, whatever manifestation that bully takes. You also have to stand up for your own morals and what you see as right and wrong. And, you know, I couldn't look my kids straight in the face if I didn't do what I'm doing. Yeah, and that's that's what they're hoping that you you don't have morals and you can walk away, which is why I'm still shocked to this day there wasn't a settlement offered initially just to just you know on that court day when you mentioned that they you know basically weren't taking the case any further and they try to get you to sign that um, confidentiality you know, basically cease yeah. and desist from discussing it ever again. I'm surprised they didn't put some money on that just to get it to go away. But from what I understand, the research I did was if they had if they would have put some money towards that that still comes from the state that still comes that's on the books and on record so then essentially they're admitting guilt and we know how powerful uh, politics is as an election coming up in a couple of years or just you know just under and i think that's a big portion of, of what's going on it's like this could hurt us politically so let's just make ian cook and i cook foods out as a, as a bad business as conspiracy theorists as this is this is a lie we're defending ourselves and it's just just mind-boggling on that issue, if you have a look at everything the, that these people have said, whenever so, if a, a story comes out and a newspaper gets comment from them, so the Herald Sun, if they do an article on anything, they always say to the department or to Danny Nong, "We'll give you an opportunity to comment." It's part of their journalistic code of conduct. Almost every response, in fact, every response given by either the department or Danny Nong is based on what we would call motherhood statements. We, we make no apology for putting public safety first. Well, that doesn't answer the question. It doesn't say, well, did you or didn't you read Ray Christie's report? Why did you still close them when she here and eat any of their food? You, can't, you know what? They come up with, um, why did you drop all the charges? Danny Nong says, because I cook foods was now compliant or it was going to be too expensive. Yeah, it's all political waffle. It's just waffle that doesn't answer a question. It doesn't doesn't give us answers as to why things happened and the details of them. It's like, you know, we're just following the health advice. We're just following science. That's so science yeah. is changing. We messed up, you know, and it just leaves it to, you're not giving us an answer, you know, and I think the people deserve an answer. I think first and foremost, yourself and your business and your employees deserve an answer. But, you know, that's, that's the most shocking thing you just to, to hide behind political waffle, which I can't stand. Whenever I'm on calls with business people or talking to someone and I ask a question and I get that, I just stop it and say, it's a yes or no question. And if it's yes or no, then we're going to have a few more questions beyond that. And that's where we're at. You know, like you said, morally, you're one of the few left in society these days with morals, I think, that works in the public sector or has worked in the public sector. And that's the most frustrating thing I think every person listening to this would 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 get to where you're just banging your head against the wall. Like, give us an answer. Give us something, you know. And yeah. the political waffle just – you just can't get anywhere. No, and I, um, I think the control of this government is so absolute that that's, they can give the political waffle – they put a spin on it to make it sound the way they want it to sound, and then they just lock down. Don't I won't, we won't we won't discuss it anymore. And you know what? The one thing that Victoria does have is that the upper house of Victorian Parliament, at least the government doesn't have control. Now they've tried desperately to 
uh, get the independents on their side. The Liberal Party obviously has a, a, a lesser number in, in the House, but the two people that really of politicians that should get um, a call out for doing the right thing are the Deputy Leader of the Opposition, which is Georgie Crozier, and also Fiona Patton of the Reason Party. Fiona is the chairman of the committee that ran the inquiry, and Georgie Crozier is on that committee. Both of them came out and said, people have told lies to this committee. We need to get to the bottom of this. This has to be reopened, and we have to make sure that the parliament is told the truth at all times. I think that would be a big deal for them to do. And that wouldn't have been an easy uh, an easy position to come to. But people will relay that as the opposition being the opposition. That's the problem. We need someone within the Labor government, someone hopefully left in that government. This isn't a Labor or Liberal rant for me. It's it's both sides have, have, have problems. But there's got to be someone in that government that still morally can see there's, there's a problem here that can come out and, and, and help with this because- as I said to the general public that are team politics people on Labor or Liberal, they're going to look at it like, oh, yeah, it's just it's just smear campaign from the Liberal side, you know, the, the no, reason, no. reason party, you know what I mean? Yep. This is this is no smear campaign. I think we- I agree. You know, uh, but that's what, that's what the general- That's what, you know, people on that side of government and Labor will try to paint this as. If you're a member of the court, if you're a member of the Labor Party, you cannot vote against the Labor Party. You can't come out. If they come out, they'll be sacked. Right. If anyone came out in the Labor Party, no matter how moral or otherwise, that'll be the end of them. I think the interesting thing, if you're talking about sides of politics without taking any sides, is that you have the deputy leader of the opposition and um, Fiona Patton, because I would say Fiona Patton is more, more valuable. Yeah. And, and she's more on the Labor side. She has a very social mind in what in the outcomes she wants. So from that point of view, you'd say she's left of politics, and obviously Georgie is on the on the right of politics. Yep. But they're moderates on both sides, and here they come together to get a really to get an outcome which we applaud because it gets to the truth. I mean, John Benny, who is the CEO of the city of Dandenong, he just lied to the to the parliamentary inquiry about us, and I wrote to him and said, "You have to correct this." And basically, he just ignored it and tried to blame his lawyer for writing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's and then getting your lawyer to even write it. I mean, you know, well, you I'm sure you okayed it. I'm sure you read it. I'm sure you signed your little, little electronic yeah. signature that you did through sign a document online or whatever it is. Uh, you know, that that's the crazy part. There's just so many layers that they can just hide behind, and that's that's where we, you you really see the injustice of, of even trying to get an outcome that is you know an answer that's honest and and justice being served is you you just gone through hoops like you said. And now you got to wait till February, and then you got to wait till next year, and then you're after. And well. You know what? If they, like you said, government's very good at trying to send you broke by forcing litigation out. Mm -hmm. So, you know what, Mr. Andrews, you want to force the litigation out? Go for your life. I'm quite happy to wait and I'm quite happy to work out the funding to keep going because it means that you're going to have people on a stand in the Supreme Court being asked incredibly damning questions right up to your election, which is at the end of 2022. Yeah, and goes back to my point of I just still can't believe this. I can. Well, I said why. I just can't believe they didn't try to just give you a settlement and, and have you, you know, go, go on your merry way. But I guess, you know, someone had mentioned to me that I'd done some research about if they, if they made a settlement at any point, it's going to be on public record as to where that money's gone and that's going to be used by the opposition and whoever's competing at the next election. But yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just unbelievable. Hmm. I mean, moving on from there, I guess people will want to know. So, the timeline now, is it just all into that February court hearing? Is that what we're at? Or, you know, as you continue to dig stuff up, what what, what is the process with that? Just adding on to, to the file for February or will there be other suits potentially besides what's coming up in February? Uh, so, we have a couple of um, uh, FOI 
VCAT hearings coming. Yep. So we, the Department of Health, when when we got our Freedom of Information documents from them, they had redacted heaps and heaps of stuff. So we've gone back to the to OVIC, which is the Office of the Victorian Information Commissioner, and we've said, hey, we believe so the commissioner has come back and said, we agree with iCook Foods, but the department said, well, we're taking it to VCAT. We're not, we don't accept, we don't accept that umpire. Further delaying the inevitable. Yep. Yeah. So we will do that. Then once we get that and we get these documents unredacted, then we can step through because as we get more information, like the Christie report, like these things, then, and just from telephone conversations, sometimes you'll pick up or someone says something to you and it puts another piece of the jigsaw in place. I mean, we, we didn't know with the, the Christie report, we never understood what was going on there in terms of why, you know, why would they conceal this document? Now, remember, it's a document that's held by Knox City Council. Knox City Council has been in the media for withholding this document. Knox City Council say, oh, we, we withheld it because under the secrecy provisions of the Food Act, we shouldn't give it out. Now, remember, that document, they said, I should have got it, not through freedom of information, I should have subpoenaed it. One, I can't subpoena something I didn't know existed. So until <laughs> I knew it existed, how would I? And then, so I thought, you know what? I rang Knox Council just recently, and I got onto the guy that signed the decision letter. And I said, so his name was Damien Watson. I said, Damien, you signed this decision letter. And he said, um, yes, yes. He said, I'm pretty sure I did. I will check. So my question is, did you sign it? He says, I'll just check, clicking the computer board while, while I'm on the phone to him. And he's bringing it up. And then as he's doing that, he's saying, oh, well, yes, I remember. He said, but it was overseen by the CEO and my manager. So you got an FOI officer. Now, Christie told me in a verbal con conversation um, that Watson had said to him, this document should be released because it's in the public interest. He's the FOI officer. He knows what should or shouldn't be released. Mm -hmm. And he was stopped by the CEO. Now, under Section 254 of the Crimes Act, to conceal a document that you know, uh, so, so that you know or ought to know, isn't will be needed in a criminal or civil trial, I was on criminal charges at the time. Is an offence, right? Is an offence. Five years jail. <laughs> yeah. And they're saying, oh, no, the Food Act overrides the Crimes Act. If anybody at Knox City Council happens to be listening to your podcast, it doesn't. Mm. It never did. Can you imagine that? Imagine if you could hide behind another act. The Crimes Act tells us how we should live. The Crimes Act tells us what we are not allowed to do. Yeah. Yeah, whereas the Food Act's the Food Act. How you deal with that? Yeah, yeah exactly. It's still a criminal act. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing too is the these supposed secrecy provisions, they only apply to the EHO. They apply to the authorised officer and they're there for a very good reason. It stops an, it stops an EHO from favouring, you know, going and telling a competitive restaurant that this guy's done something bad or something that could be used in marketing or media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just says, hey, you can't talk about this stuff. Yeah, exactly, for obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah. yeah you can pump up. Yeah, yeah, of course. The CEO- should have released that document and he should have not have been involved in concealing it. That's where the crime starts. And it's like all this stuff. The cover-up is worse than the- The crime itself. The crime itself, the crime yeah. itself. How have you gone with getting the- Have you got the, redact the unredacted versions fully yet or are you still waiting? Uh, still, I don't is think- that, Is that, that VCannon? Uh, so, no, that, that one. So, we've now got some of that by a subpoena now. 
some of it, later. but not all of it. No, I don't believe we have all of it. <laughs> um, but because you know, Ray Christie has now come out and told everyone what's going on, and he's put a statement into the police about uh, about his report and what happened. And he's yeah, the, all the information he gives me would indicate there is more. We will find out one day, I suppose. You don't even know what, what the more is because yes. there's just so much to it, right? Yeah, so, yeah. you don't even know what to ask for, essentially. Well, the other thing, too, is um, we were talking about Crozier before. Georgie Crozier, she applied to Knox under FOI. I got 34 pages for pretty much the <laughs> same parameters. She got 400. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> but they're all redacted. So, we don't know whether it was just Dorothy Dix's or whether it was real. You just don't know. And you know what? These are our bureaucrats. These are our government officials that we pay and have to trust and they behave like this. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's- Maybe a bit of a misdirection. They think they can just give random amounts of paperwork to different people. That'll keep you sidetracked from the from the real show. It's just it's just absolutely mind boggling, right? It's just yeah. um yeah, it's a it's a crazy time. And I guess these these councils have to do what they have to do. Otherwise, they're not going to receive funding for their local community. You know, basketball center. We know Knox City Council has a, a big project being built there in um with the high performance center with basketball. So they're very very big. And, and there was some for people who haven't listened to it in one of the basketball episodes. There was some government. Um, involvement with Ben Simmons of all people back in when he was playing for the World Cup team about threatening to withdraw funding if we didn't let him play. So we know these councils are heavily involved with government, governments involved all over the place. So it doesn't surprise me that um, the Knox City Council, everyone around there is just kind of toeing the line and, and doing whatever they have to do to hold their own jobs and their salaries. Accepting all that you say, Andrew, would then say to me, so we've got councils talking to councils about covering stuff up. So, you've got one council telling another council or a department telling a council or a government official telling a council to break the law? Unofficially, yeah. Look, it seems that way. I mean, it, 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 there's, where there's smoke, there's fire and-, and, and- you know, this is all factual. There's nothing, you know, people after the last um, podcast, there were a, f- a few ardent Andrew supporters saying this is a, the new conspiracy theory Bogut's talking about. It's, this is factual. I have, you know, had y- yourself and your son Ben here in person. Uh, we went through that and the people wouldn't even listen. There were some people that wouldn't even listen to the podcast just because it wasn't favorable to their political team. And that's, they're the people that, that, that I struggle with because- whether it's I don't have a political team, I don't, I don't people think I do, but I, I think both sides have problems, both sides have positives and negatives. But I'm quick to call out whatever side it is. If it was Liberal government in in pulse in power right now, I'd be doing this exactly the same thing because corruption's corruption, right? And it's just like people people didn't even want to listen to it because they thought, oh, it's just conspiracy theory trying to undermine Andrews in, in the next election. And you're like, no, it's not. <laughs> there's there's point like this is a Point blank, year to year, month to month, factual, like we said, reputable people involved that are putting their name to this shit that, that they wouldn't put their name to something where, where shit's going to hit the fan and they're going to be hit by pieces of, pieces of shit essentially, right? To, to use that adage, but it's it's just crazy. My, my point to that would be quite simple. To everybody who listens to your podcast, everything that we say is factual and we can either show you a recording or a piece of paper. So, what I tell you. Yeah. If I couldn't do that, if what I said to you was not the truth, then someone by now in the last two and a half years would have taken me for defamation, defamation yeah. and stopped me because yeah. the quickest way to stop someone speaking 
is taken for defamation. But there is no case of defamation, of course. And like, like we said in the first episode, you have no notes in front of you. This is all recited from the top of your head. So, you're, you're going back and forward at times, rejogging your memory, but nothing nothing here is off a script. I guarantee you, you get some of these politicians and counsellors in an interview like this, there's going to be a folder that's going to have 400 files yeah. like Georgie Crozier received that's just going to be talking points. And then there's going to be a lot of political waffle of like, that was the best advice we got at the time. That would be 90% of the answer, <laughs> answer you get, which, um, which is- head scratching but um so i guess right now just for our listeners we are we're just awaiting that that february court hearing yes and any um any other uh, uh, there will be other things that come up it just what what is extraordinary about this whole journey has been the universe just looking after us you know one minute we uh we get a we get a police officer who get who's who tries to shut down an investigation next minute we get a document falls out of the blue you know, all the board papers for Community Chef that have been quite illuminating. This stuff has all arrived, you know, a comment from um, from someone who knows someone. At a barbecue. At a barbecue, <laughs> which, which, which is a major piece of the puzzle. Yeah. And that and that's, uh, slots in and you think, yeah, well, yes, long journey. Yes, other pieces are going to fall out. And as they fall out, then we will bring them out. I'm not into hiding stuff from anyone. Anyone wants to know, we're going to tell our story because otherwise our democracy will be damaged and it's certainly looking sick. And I was a believer, like you, I was a pretty much apolitical. If there were good things the Labor Party did, I was happy with it, right? And I would say that's a good thing. If there were things that the Libs were doing, that's a good thing. If an independent comes up with a good idea, happy with that too. As a believer of the system, to then find this happen to me and to be treated the way I was or am being... That's myself, my family, and uh, and my employees. That has knocked me for a six. One of the reasons we are doing what we are doing all is to try and help fix what is, to me, a broken system at the moment. Yeah, it is, and, and especially when you can't get to the root of the problem in a you know a, a fair matter of time. <laughs> yep. It's it's just you know the bureaucracy of being able to hide behind political slogans and innuendo and and your, your talking points of just dragging this out. That's that's the other thing. If if you were in Ian Cook's position or I Cook's position where something bad's happened to you and now you have to employ lawyers and waste your time and lose employees and then just just tread water for two or three years till you even get a chance to get somewhat of a result is a failure of our democracy. It is. It truly is. And, and that's what we've allowed our government to do on both sides. It's what we've allowed councils to have basically their, their eyeballs in our backyards of homes with what we can and can't do. We allow councils to tell us what we're allowed to drink and what we're allowed to eat. And, and that's that's a big issue. When you want to get something corrected, it takes years. But when they, when they want to judge or fine or put some sort of restriction on you, that takes days. You know, and, and that's just not a fair system for anybody. And we're supposed to be in one of the freest countries in the Western world, Australia, and up there with the US and, and, and these countries. And, and as time goes on, not just with coronavirus, but cases like this, it, it makes you question, you know, if I went to a ballot box today, I'd, I, I, I would not know who to vote for. I'd pr- probably look towards the independents if I had to. But even that, you know, a lot of the independents get their votes bought by big parties. And there is a beauty in the two-party system historically, but- Looking forward for a progressive Australia that a lot of people want, it's probably 
looking like it's not the right decision anymore. You know, I think there needs to be other avenues and how we do that, who knows, pretty much looks like it's an impossible task moving forward, but that's the sad reality. And I, I'm not, I don't think I'm the only one that feels this way. I don't think you are. I think there's a lot of people, especially over the last 18 months that are like, I can't vote for this party and, and I don't like that part. Where am I? You know, uh, my thought now, listening, having the experience that I've had and gone through and I look at it and um whether it's either of the major parties or independents or a grouping of it, where you have an individual independent of his own independent mind, then I'm happy with that. I think that can bring some balance to arguments. Where you have two major parties, I think this idea that a member of a party can't stand up and say what they believe because of the rules of the party then if we ever made any new legislation, that's gone. Animal I don't care farm. whether it's- It's Animal Farm to a T. Yeah, that's it. It you, is the book of animal. And we, we've seen it with this government in Victoria. You see how many heads have rolled over the last 18 months? Yeah, yeah. That's Casey, it. City of Casey councillors. You've got- Where's Lisa Neville? She disappeared off the face of the earth. Yep. Um, Macacos um, is gone. Just It's just like, okay, you don't want to toe the line? Yep. See you later. And, and that's- I think that's- Valid to your point when I brought up why why has no one in the Labor Party at least come out morally and said, hang on a second, this is this is wrong. We need to look at this as a party. They're gonna be walking, they're gonna be gone. Go find another job. You know, yep. they got your benefits, your beautiful government benefits and everything that you've had. You're gone for a while and go back to, to working for your local council and petitioning for the next council election. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no, you're quite right. And you know what? All the people that um that um were involved in destroying us are all sitting there still on full pay and benefits. I mean, th those things are just wrong. I, I'm not sure if I had discussed with you. Do we discuss the um, auditors? Somewhat, not, not to. Yeah. Not, not to that's, I mean, that's almost another story in its own right. But through freedom of information, we'll talk about things that came out. You've got the woman that, so her name's Pauline Maloney, and she audits the auditors. These are the independent auditors registered by the Department of Health. One of the reasons we're suing one of them and there are four that are contacted, is that Maloney contacted them. I was told that she, I've been told by one person that um, they wrote a letter threatening his registration. Gavin Bucket was got to. He was the one that helped her keep us closed. Uh, at the parliamentary inquiry, Sutton says, oh, we don't know why I cook foods was closed so long. They just didn't seem to understand how to do the things we told them they had to do. Had nothing to do with it. We have an email where Gavin Bucket says, hi, Pauline. And Leanne, that's Leanne Johnson at Dandenong, Pauline Maloney, DHHS. Attached are my critical non-conformances. Sorry, attached are my draft critical non-conformances. Please let me know what you want me to <laughs> add or remove. I'll lift it. Yeah, it's a, it's a file. You can just open the edit to send it back to me. <laughs> so, you know what? Someone accidentally sent that through and didn't redact it under FOI. They redacted the names, forgot to – they obviously didn't read the content. I mean, there is no more damning a, – no more damning a document. So, you have a department hell-bent on keeping us closed. The longer I'm closed, contracts are uh, not going to survive. That's yeah. the end of it and that's what happened. Yeah, it's it's just – yeah. We, everyone that, that has listened to it hopes, hopes for the best. Um, we, we wanted to go, well, I did notice your former employee – was there a GoFund set up? Oh, no, that's <laughs> that's another interesting thing that just came out. You've just reminded me. So, Ingrid was the deaf girl that worked yep, for us. Yep. yep. Um, Ingrid had worked for us for 13 years, fabulous employee, earned a full wage, uh, was actually paying off a house for her elderly parents. That, that she, she lived, lived with, with. yeah. Yep. Yep, I remember, uh, yeah. Okay. So, 
um, I, we were just maybe two weeks ago, I think it was, we were just doing what we do every day, which is going through documents, mm. rereading, correlating stuff and, and matching stuff up. And a guy walks past the door and the door's locked. So he then sort of tries to look in the window because it's a one-way type glass thing. And I thought, okay. So I went out and said, hi, can I help you? And he said, oh, yeah. He said, um, are you Ian Cook? And I said, yes, I am. He said, look, I've been following your story. I'm really, really sorry for what's happened to you and I wish you all the best, etc." And I said, that's very kind of you. Thank you. He said, I, I had um, retail food businesses and other things. He said, I know uh, house health inspectors can throw their weight about round, but what happened to you is beyond the pale. And I said, no, no, I agree. I said, you know, if you've got a spare four and a half hours, we can run you through it all. <laughs> but um, anyway, so we, we just had a chat and I thanked him very much. And he, he then produced an envelope and he said to me, I'd like to give you this. And he said, I was thinking of what I could do to help. And he said, I thought when I heard the story about um, the deaf girl, he said that he felt really bad for her. And I said, no, no, he said, I said, yeah, it shouldn't have happened to her or whatever. He said, so could you give this to her? And he hands me an envelope with $1,000 in it. Mm -hmm. And you think, just straight out of left field. Yeah. What a what a generous and kind man. Yeah, just a sensational story um, of I still think there's good people out there regardless who's going to find them. And I think this story, like I said, it's resonated with people to see what's going on and people want to help. I mean, even just sharing this podcast, some more people that can hear it in the state and understand what I cook foods has gone through and is going through, and like I said in the in in, in the first podcast, to be on the brink of, of some unbelievable IP as well. Um, yeah, that was with your technology is just it's just something that should have been celebrated from the state of Victoria. That the city of Dandenong should have been proud of it. I mean, your face should should be everywhere with 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 some sort of technology coming from Dandenong of all places, which is a working class suburb, not known for its tech entrepreneurship by any means. It would have been amazing for that community, amazing for our city, amazing for our country, and that, and that gets taken away. But yeah, I saw that story, and uh, we think I thought it was a GoFundMe. I apologize, but just unbelievable with with what what good people can do and um, you just hope more people, you know, come to see this story and, and bring more good to the world. You know what? It's good people like yourself, Andrew, that get this out there because, you know, I'm of an age group that didn't have social media. We relied on newspapers and televisions, you know, news services, etc. Now with social media, I know it can be both ways, but it gets to more people and the younger generation that follow people like yourself and podcasts they need to know. They need to know the truth, and they and um, they need to be aware of what's happening. And that's where podcasts like this and like yourself—that's they're good. They're the good parts of social media. Yeah, and I, I guess thinking on that wavelength, if this happened 15, 20 years ago, you would probably be in all sorts because it would have been a much harder fight without any. I doubt you're getting this in a newspaper, if at all. Um, and if you did, it'd be like it started out as a small article in the Dandong Journal or whatever. And to be able to get on Sam Newman's podcast online, um, start getting more media attention, people tweeting about it, the Sluggate hashtag for all the people out there that have been tweeting it has, has got trending numerous times. That's the positive of what social media can bring. And I think that's the the way we as as people can hold our governments and bureaucrats you know, to account when, when they need to be. So, uh, that's a valid point. I think this happens in the 80s or 90s. You it would know, have been a tougher road. Your uphill battles, the, the, the hill is much, much steeper. So, there's a positive for social media. You don't hear a lot of positives about it these days, but that's one of them. It's it's definitely helps to get the every everyday man's word out. Yeah. I, I The number of people, I've 
like I, the only social media I have is an Instagram account, which is private because I get my um, my daughter and my son send uh, put up videos of my grandchildren. Yeah, so yeah. you know, if I'm in lockdown or for some reason can't be around, I can see them. So they set it up for me. Said, "Here, Dad, here's what you do." Um, and I've received messages on that. You know, just where, where someone's obviously guessed that that's who I am, yeah. like my my address, and so they've sent a message and said, "Hey, a uh, message of support." Keep my son it. gets a lot because he has a Twitter account, uh, a yeah. Twitter account, so he gets a lot of messages of support directly to him, which which is comforting. You know, when you have people you don't know who get it and who listen um, and get and understand what's going on, yeah, no, that that heartens us. Yeah, and Ben Ben. You know, as long as he continues to put out tweets when there's updates, I think people are so ready for the next update. And I think a lot of people are ready for the people involved with this to come falling down like a ton of bricks. And I think we all long for that day because it'll be a it'll be a great day. And but look, we we appreciate you coming back in. Know you're a busy man as as we all are, and hope um hope for all the best. But if you want to give any messages for for the listeners out there and people that are following this and or any other tidbits, feel free. Yeah, we will. We'll get back to you with anything that comes along. I promise. Yeah, and we'll wait. We'll wait till that. Otherwise, we'll wait till around that February region. Hopefully, it doesn't get delayed any further. You know, VCAT can be sometimes. As long as you pay those fees in advance, you'll probably hold on to that date. But um, we'll see how that all goes. And if not, before then, we might get you in if there's a few more developments. But as of now, push all the chips to the table to that February court hearing, and, and we wish you all the best. Thank you very much, Andrew. Thank you.